Well, we are continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, today's verses are, are, you'll see the theme from our children's message going straight in here, and uh, Jesus talks about our relationship with righteousness and the law, and uh, so we're going to pray, and we'll dive right in. So, Dear Lord, pray for these words we're going to hear, pray for our hearts and our minds that we'd be open to receiving your word, that we would let it affect us and guide us and lead us and change us, and that uh, we would turn from ourselves to you, um, turn from any way in which we are living in hypocrisy, um, and we would seek your forgiveness and cleansing and change of heart so that we, that you give us, um, so that we may follow you and pursue you sincerely with a pure heart. Pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. It says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in these verses, Jesus answers a question that is essential for all believers. And I'm going to use the Apostle Paul's words from Romans 6.15 uh, to phrase the question here. Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? Are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? And many teachers in the world around us here are answering that question with a resounding yes. Yes, they will say. Yes, you can do what used to be forgiven, what used to be forbidden, because grace. They will say, that's not a sin anymore. They will say, you know, you shouldn't be using those harsh, condemning words like sin. They will say that the Old Testament, well, that was for a different time. They will say that Jesus changed everything, and now we, we can reinterpret God's word according to the times. They will say that we can disregard old teachings because the old is gone and the new has come. And the question is, well, is that what Jesus did? And Jesus anticipated this question from his own disciples. Here he's just told them, we read, you know, the last couple weeks, we read the Beatitudes, we read the salt and light. And here he's just told his disciples, well, hey, the, the kingdom is given to the poor in spirit by grace. So do we need to follow the law at all? And Jesus anticipates, anticipates this question, and his answer could not be clearer. Verse 17 do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. 
So Jesus, he upholds the word of God, the law and the prophets, and he does so in four ways in these verses. First, he fulfilled them. So Jesus did not come to give a new law. His will and God the Father's will are one and the same. Jesus fulfilled the law by perfectly keeping it and by coming as the prophets foretold he would. He completed them to perfection. So to use an illustration, he didn't, he didn't pour out the old water and fill it with new. No, he filled the jar up to the brim. He didn't throw out the old painting. He clarified it with detail. The second way Jesus upholds the law and the prophets is that he taught that none of the law or the prophets will pass away. Verse 18. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So Jesus upholds the smallest detail of the law and the prophets down to the dot of an I or the cross of a T. So it is completely contrary to Jesus' mission to suggest that the law does not apply because grace has come. Because the truth is, grace was always there. You look through the Old Testament, there was grace. There was grace to forgive sins, and there was grace to renew the believer against sin. What changed was the Messiah had come. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness to the full like no one before him, perfectly. And he accomplished atonement for all sin. So he did not change the nature of good and evil. The moral code is not a tool for you to use when it suits you. It defines righteousness, and it holds you accountable to the good you must do and to the evil you must avoid. And he says, none of it will pass away until all of it is accomplished, until all the righteousness is accomplished and all the promises are accomplished in creation, in humanity. And every promise of God will come to pass. It will be accomplished. He will redeem humanity. He will restore creation. His word will accomplish everything he sent it for. Third, Jesus taught that his disciples must follow the commandments without hypocrisy. Verse 19, therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus lays out the principle by which his followers will live. And he's talking about right now in this life to his followers. If you disregard God's commands and teach others to do the same, then you are least in the kingdom of heaven. So you, you might hold position and respect among men, but before God, you are least. Now, what is, what is meant by the least commandment? Well, the Jews of, of Jesus' day generally considered Deuteronomy 22.6 to 
to be the least commandment. And I'll read it here. If you come across a bird's nest in any tree or on the ground with young ones or eggs, and the mother sitting on the young or on the eggs, you shall not take the mother with the young. In other words, don't kill the bird that lays the eggs. Don't wreck your future just to have a little more today. It's a law about birds' nests, but actually a quite profound principle. And Jesus doesn't permit the least commandment to be disregarded by his disciples. So if you treat his commandments, even the least, like a least thing to be disregarded, then he says you will be treated like a least thing to be disregarded. And if you are so arrogant that you think you can pick and choose the, the when or the how or the if to obey his commands, you are a hypocrite. Now, since Jesus upholds even the smallest command of God, what will be the outcome of those who disregard the greater commands of God? What will be the outcome for those who disregard God's commandments on marriage, on justice, on truth, on honesty, on protecting life, on theft, and so on? What will be the outcome for those who overturn God's good design for creation, for humanity, for marriage, for family, for society? Any who disregard his law are removed from following him. But, but, if you do God's commands and teach them, you are great in his kingdom. So Jesus calls you to be a disciple without hypocrisy. Meaning from the heart, sincerely, you follow his will, you do his commandments, you teach them. So Jesus did not come to change the law. He came to change you and me, all of us. So it's, and grace is there. It's his grace that brings us into communion with him. And this communion, this intimate, intimate connection with him that we have now by grace, it is marked by harmony with his will and a new obedience that comes from faith. In the coming weeks, we're going to look at how Jesus applied this to specific commandments. The fourth way Jesus upholds the law and the prophets is verse 20. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So in this verse, Jesus, he's taking a giant hammer and he is smashing any idea you or I or any of us may have that we are good enough. So anyone thinks that they are a generally good person, and that's good enough, is shockingly corrected here. And we have this comparison to the scribes and Pharisees. The Pharisees were the super religious. They went above and beyond the commandments of God to show everyone else how devout they were. But the average Jew who would mostly be, meant that, that most of Jesus' followers would have been this average Jew, the fisherman, the, tax, you know, the, the scribe, the, 
they were taught that, well, they didn't need to be as devout as the Pharisees. That's above and beyond. And they, they didn't have to be that devout to still be a good Jew. And so like them, many people today are, they think that since they are a generally good person, that's good enough. And Jesus' words still challenge us today, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So since this is the case, how can anyone enter the kingdom of heaven? What kind of righteousness is even greater than the Pharisees? And the answer is back in Jesus' words in verse 17. I have come to fulfill them. In verse 18, until all is accomplished. Jesus fulfilled all righteousness. He did the Father's will in the closest communion with the Father, out of the dearest love for God the Father, with a pure love for all that is good and righteous, and with a sacrificial love for all people. He loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. He loved his neighbor, all people like himself. He loves you. And he followed, God, followed God's will completely, even to the point of death on the cross. John 8, verse 28 and 29. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. In John 14, 31, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So Jesus is, he is all goodness and righteousness. And by his death on the cross, he atoned for all sin. And through his death, grace is offered to all. It's offered to you. So no matter what you have done, no matter who you are, his death atones for all your sins. In him, then, is, is cleansing and new life. And he gives the kingdom then not to those who have tried really hard to do all the commandments. He gives the kingdom by grace to those who will turn away from themselves, turn away from their own ways, and turn to him. Because only in him can we find the righteousness we need, the righteousness that leads to life. And only in him is our sin washed away. And the faith that trusts in Jesus as Savior will also obey him as Lord. Jesus not only saves you from punishment in hell, he saves you from the unbelief and the lack of love in your own heart. And he not only grants you eternal life in the future, he grants you new spiritual life now. And he plants in your spirit sincere faith and love for God that shows itself in devoted obedience. And Dietrich Bonhoeffer described the new dynamic, the new obedience of those who have been saved by grace. And he describes it this way. There's, there's three phrases I'm going to quote from him. He says, There is no fulfillment of the law apart from communion with God. 
and no communion with God apart from fulfillment of the law. Only he who believes is obedient, and only he who is obedient believes. Faith is only real where there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. So we see you cannot have one without the other. And many scriptures confirm this. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. And John 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And verse 10, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. And I've also found that if you love God, you will seek him, but also when you seek him and find him, you, you learn to love him. And that we experience these both at the same time. And when you trust him, you do obey him. And when you step out and obey him, you learn that you can trust him. So what then, or how, should we respond to Jesus' words? Well, if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, he calls you to come to him in prayer and confess that you are not enough. Confess that you have not upheld God's commandments. Turn from yourself and your ways and turn to him. Call on him as Lord and Savior. Ask him to cleanse you from your sins and give you a new heart, a new heart for God, and he will do this. And then begin walking in that faith by obeying him. And if you know Christ and follow him, well, then it's good time we go every day to evaluate your own heart and your own mind and your own spirit and ask yourself, is, is there a teaching in God's law that you are disregarding or that you are postponing? And ask yourself why. What, what is the reason that you're putting it off, that you are disregarding it? Is it fear? Is it pride? Is it selfishness, pleasure, stubbornness? And once you answer that, give it up. Surrender it to God and just simply obey him. And it says do this today. Because Hebrews 3.15 says today. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Meaning now is the day grace is offered to you in Jesus to forgive and to redeem and to cleanse. So communion with Christ shows itself by obedience to his will. If you have good works without communion with God through Jesus, then he will say to you, depart from me for I never knew you. But scripture also says faith without works is dead. So Jesus, he is, he is not your insurance policy against hell. 
And attendance at a church is not your membership dues that you pay. Jesus is the Christ who saves you from dead works and from dead faith, from hypocrisy, from rebellion, and from sin. And he fulfilled the righteousness that you and I could not or would not. He became sin for us so that you may become the righteousness of God. And he wakes you up and he makes you alive so that you love God and follow him with a new heart, with a pure heart. So answer his call today and let him revive your heart and let him lead you in paths of righteousness. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word to us. Thank you for this word here, your Jesus' own sermon and his own teaching to make it crystal clear your righteousness and the, the goodness of all your ways that you call us to, to be part of, um, to be changed and to be brought into all that is good and righteous in you, to participate in and to be citizens of a kingdom of righteousness and to be part of it ourselves through the grace found in Jesus. And pray that you would make this real and genuine in us and our hearts and minds. May we grow into it more and more by your spirit and grace. And may we look to you and be dependent upon you for this every hour of the day. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.